0: Section Forty Seven of the Cambridge Modern History, Volume Two, The Reformation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter Thirteen: Henry the Eighth by James Gardner, Part Four. Parliament had been dissolved not long before anne boleyn's arrest it was the same parliament which had been summoned at wolsey's fall and it had lasted for six years and a half a new parliament was called and met on june eighth to pass among other things a new act of succession in favour of jane seymour's issue disinheriting that of both the two former queens the princess mary though her chief enemy was now dead was not restored to favour until to make life bearable she had signed without reading an abject submission acknowledging the king's laws by which she herself was a bastard shortly afterwards died the duke of richmond the king's natural son who was believed to have been destined by henry to succeed him on the throne in case of failure of issue by jane seymour for he had procured a clause in the succession act enabling him in that contingency to dispose of the crown by will another act passed was for the attainder of lord thomas howard brother of the duke of norfolk who had presumed to contract marriage with the king's niece lady margaret douglas he died in the tower next year at this time also the office of lord privy seal was taken from anne boleyn's father the earl of wiltshire and given to cromwell in july there was a meeting of convocation over which dr peter presided as deputy to cromwell the king's vicar general since cranmer had been raised to the primacy several other bishops favorable to the new principle of royal supremacy had been appointed including Latimer of Worcester, and, as the king was hoping to strengthen his position by an alliance with the German Protestants, it was important to set forth by authority a formulary of the faith as acknowledged by the Church of England. This was done in ten articles, not greatly at variance with the beliefs hitherto received, though dissuading the use of the term purgatory, and omitting all notice of four, out of the seven sacraments this omission of course attracted some observation but as to their positive contents cardinal pole himself found little fault with these articles his main objection being to the authority by which they were set forth they were printed as quote articles devised by the king's highness to establish christian quietness and unity among us end quote the legislation of past years had created much popular discontent which was now increased by the dissolution of the monasteries in the north rumours were spread that the king would appropriate all the church plate and when the commissioners for levying a subsidy came to caster in lincolnshire just after two small neighbouring monasteries had been suppressed the people banded together to resist them The commissioners made a hasty retreat, but some of them were captured and compelled by the rebels to swear to be true to the king and to take their side. The insurgents likewise sent up two messengers to Windsor to lay their grievances before their sovereign. The answer returned by Henry was rough in the extreme, and he sent a force under the Duke of Suffolk to quell the rising preparing himself to follow with another, which was to muster at Ampthill. The muster, however, was countermanded on news that the rebels were ready to submit. But Lincolnshire was scarcely quiet when a more formidable rising began in Yorkshire, called the Pilgrimage of Grace. A lawyer named Robert Ask caused a muster on Moor at which the men swore to be faithful to the king, and to preserve the church from spoil. For here, as in Lincolnshire, men desired to combine loyalty with religion, which they believed to be in danger from the rule of Cromwell, and such bishops as Cranmer and Latimer. Ask and his friends got possession of York. They took an oath of adhesion from the mayor and commons at Doncaster they replaced the expelled monks in their monasteries Pomfretch castle was delivered up to them by lord d'arcy as too weak to hold out though the archbishop of york had taken refuge with him there and a herald named lancaster sent thither by the earl of shrewsbury was forbidden by ask to read the king's proclamation though he fell on his knees and begged leave to execute his commission the duke of norfolk sent by the king to put down the rising joined the earl of shrewsbury and others in the midlands and sent an address to the rebels offering them the choice of battle or submission but on reaching doncaster he found that the movement had assumed such dimensions that a conflict would have been disastrous and accordingly he made an agreement there with the rebels October and arranged for a general truce in the north while sir ralph Ellerker and robert bowes were sent up to the king to ask for an answer to the demands of the insurgents henry wrote a temporizing reply but detained the messengers for some time on the excuse of various sinister rumors conferences were arranged in december at pomfret and doncaster and a general pardon was proclaimed at the latter place hereupon the king putting a smooth face on matters wrote to ask to come up and confer with him frankly and though not without misgivings in spite of his safe conduct ask came and seems to have been won over by royal affability early in january fifteen thirty seven he returned to yorkshire and did his best to allay disquiet declaring that the king was every way gracious and had approved the general pardon that he was sending norfolk once more into the north and that grievances would be discussed at a free parliament at york where also the queen would be crowned but the pardon had been already ill-received at Kendal in westmoreland where the people said they had done no wrong and grave suspicions were aroused in yorkshire that the king was fortifying Hull and Scarborough. One John Hallam was taken in an attempt to surprise Hull, and Sir Francis Bigod made an equally futile effort to march on Scarborough. Bigod fled and was afterwards captured near Carlisle, where he had joined himself to a new rising provoked by the king's use of border thieves to keep the country down. The Duke of Norfolk, when he came back, went first to carlisle where he proceeded by martial law against seventy-four of the insurgents and terrified the country with savage executions he then went on to durham and york where he endeavoured to learn who were chiefly responsible for the demands made and conceded at doncaster he got ask into his hands and sent him up to the king while the earls of sussex and derby "'reduced Lancashire to submission "'by hanging the abbots of Wally and Solly "'and one or two monks "'and securing the surrender of the Abbey of Furness. "'The king's principal danger was past, "'but meanwhile his anxieties abroad had increased. "'One thing was in his favour, "'that during the whole of 1536 "'the emperor and Francis I were at war.' and neither of them wished to interfere with him but the pope was trying to make peace between them and having created reginald pole a cardinal in december he gave him on february 7 a commission as legate to bring about henry's return to his obedience to rome pole was a grandson of the duke of clarence brother of edward the 4th and his mother, the Countess of Salisbury, was a sister of that Earl of Warwick, who was put to death by Henry the At the beginning of his reign, Henry the wished to atone for his father's wrong, and Reginald Pole, showing a great love of letters, was educated at the king's expense at Oxford and Padua. For this, Pole was certainly most grateful, but he did not approve Henry's later policy, and obtained leave to go abroad again. Pressed by the king for a statement of his views as to the royal supremacy, he had written a treatise intended for the king's own eye, severely censuring his policy and the cruelty with which he had enforced it. The king was exasperated at this, and still more at Poles being made a cardinal, but it was now his duty to go to england or as near it as he could and publish the papal censures against henry for which an opportunity was offered by the presence of james v at paris where on january one fifteen thirty seven he married the french king's daughter madeleine there were many indications indeed that the english would welcome a scotch invasion if henry did not mend his ways but francis did not dare to receive at his court a papal legate denounced by henry as a traitor whose surrender he claimed by treaty and maria of hungary the regent of the netherlands also warned pole not to come near her but to seek refuge with the cardinal of liege pole's mission was consequently a complete failure and now henry having reduced the whole of the north country to subjection left unfulfilled his promise of a free parliament at york on norfolk's return he instituted a council to govern the north at first under bishop tunstall of durham afterwards under holgate bishop of Landoff. meanwhile a council of divines met in london to supply some omissions in the king's book of articles issued in the previous year, and the result was the publication of a treatise entitled The Institution of a Christian Man, which the king allowed to go forth as a manual of doctrine agreed upon by the bishops, without giving it the express sanction of a work which had been examined by himself. It was accordingly called The Bishop's Book. Five years later, a considerably revised edition of it which had really been examined by the king, was issued under the title of A Necessary Doctrine for Any Christian Man, and was commonly called the King's Book. In both these treatises, the old number of seven sacraments was acknowledged, and the doctrine concerning each of them was defined. On October 12, the queen gave birth to a son, the future Edward VI at Hampton Court, She died twelve days after. Three months previously, James V also had lost his newly-wedded Queen Madeleine. In the following year, 1538, the suppression of the monasteries was carried further. Several of the abbots and priors were induced to make formal surrenders, which were often, no doubt, voluntary in one sense, since pensions were more acceptable than visitations. The king's agents were likewise zealous in putting down images, pilgrimages, and superstitions. A wonder-working crucifix at Boxley in Kent was destroyed, and a solemn enquiry was held into the nature of a venerated relic, the blood of Hales, reputed to be the blood of our lord. Meanwhile the dissolution of the monasteries was quickened by information for treason against the heads of houses who rejected the royal supremacy the prior of lenton in nottinghamshire and the abbot of woburn were both executed all friars were compelled to put aside their habits and their houses were confiscated these proceedings were not relaxed in view of danger from abroad when the king heard of the ten years truce made in June between the Emperor and Francis. In September, the magnificent shrine of St. Thomas at Canterbury was robbed of all its treasures, and the relics, which had been the object of so many pilgrimages, were burned. Henry's wrath was stimulated against the saint, who had brought a king of England low. The news of this outrage excited peculiar horror at Rome, but all the pope could do was to reissue december seventeen the bull of excommunication already published in fifteen thirty five with additions setting forth the king's new enormities and to attempt to procure its proclamation at least at dieppe or in scotland or ireland but henry anticipated the danger which threatened him at the end of august cardinal pole's brother sir geoffrey was arrested and questions having been put to him concerning his communications over sea, the fear of torture wrung from him information which was thought to implicate his other brother, Lord Montague, and the Marquis of Exeter. These two noblemen were accordingly lodged in the tower on November 4. Exeter would be next in succession if the king died without lawful issue, and Montague was the lineal heir of Clarence, the marchioness of exeter and the countess of salisbury montague's mother were also closely examined the two noblemen were tried for treason and beheaded on december nine others who were found guilty along with them being hanged and quartered at tyburn sir Geoffrey received a pardon on january four in consideration of his unwilling disclosures on the other hand Sir Nicholas Carew, who was arrested on December 31, was found guilty of treason in February 1539, mainly for conversations with the Marquis of Exeter, and was beheaded on Tower Hill on March 3. The Pope, however, was now encouraged by the better understanding between the Emperor and Francis to send Cardinal Pole on a new mission to those two sovereigns, to induce them TO FORBID COMMERCIAL INTERCOURSE WITH ENGLAND, AND DAVID BETTON WAS AT THE SAME TIME MADE A CARDINAL WITH A VIEW TO HIS PUBLISHING IN SCOTLAND, THE BULL OF EXCOMMUNICATION AGAINST HENRY. POLE TRAVELED BY LAND TO SPAIN, AND ON FEBRUARY 15 WAS RECEIVED BY THE EMPEROR AT TOLEDO, IN SPITE OF THE REMONSTRANCES OF THE ENGLISH AMBASSADOR, SIR THOMAS WYATT. Yet his arrival did not seem agreeable to the emperor, who declined to do as the Pope desired, and Pole returned to Carpentras, where he stayed with his friend Sadoleto, till he received an answer to a message that he sent to Francis. But the French king was only willing to prohibit intercourse with England on condition that the emperor would do the same, and Pole's second legation bore no more practical fruit than the first had done henry was nevertheless seriously alarmed orders were given for the construction and repair of fortifications on the coasts and general musters were held the people believing in the national danger were zealous for the defence of the country parliament was called together in april and occupied itself mainly in passing what was called the act of the six articles for enforcing religious unity this was an answer to the taunts that the english were heretics and that the pope's excommunication was well deserved by this severe enactment denial of transubstantiation involved death by fire and confiscation of goods no abjuration being allowed in bar of execution and it was further declared felony to maintain either that communion in both kinds was necessary or that priests or any man or woman who had vowed chastity or widowhood might marry, or that private masses were not laudable, or that auricular confession was not expedient. But for all these offenses, except the denial of transubstantiation, a first conviction was visited merely with imprisonment and confiscation, a second was punished capitally there was also passed a great act of attainder against not only exeter and montague but the countess of salisbury and a large number of other persons some of whom were alive for the most part refugees abroad and some had been condemned and executed in recent years for treason but the danger seemed even to increase in the latter part of the year when the emperor on the invitation of francis passed through france on his way to the low countries and was hospitably entertained in paris in this crisis henry sought security by arranging a new marriage for himself with anne sister of william duke of cleves who by his pretensions to gelders was a thorn in the side of the emperor and had besides family and other ties with the protestant princes of germany with these moreover henry had for some time been cultivating a good understanding and had given them great hopes in the previous years of a religious union against both pope and emperor and though the germans were sadly disappointed by the passing of the act of the six articles against which they strongly remonstrated the political support of england was too valuable to be hastily rejected in november proceedings for treason were taken against the two great abbots of reading and colchester and against the abbot of glastonbury for felony all three were executed these trials were certainly irregular and the treasons seem to have consisted merely of private conversations disapproving of royal supremacy and of the king's proceedings but. THE UNWILLINGNESS OF THESE ABBOTS TO SURRENDER WAS PERHAPS THEIR CHIEF CRIME, AND A RUSH OF SURRENDERS FOLLOWED, SO THAT VERY SOON NOT A SINGLE MONASTERY WAS LEFT. IN THE LAST DAYS OF DECEMBER, ANNE OF CLEVES CROSSED FROM CALAIS TO DEAL, FROM WHICH SHE WENT THAT DAY TO DOVER, AND ON BY STAGES THROUGH CANTERBURY TO ROCHESTER, WHERE SHE REMAINED ALL NEW YEAR'S DAY, 1540 here she received a surprise visit from the king who came incognito and made himself known to her as he afterwards stated he was disappointed as to her beauty though he had secured beforehand her portrait painted by holbein he returned to greenwich and received his bride publicly in greenwich park on january three the wedding took place on the sixth just six months later This marriage was declared null, but for the present no one doubted its validity. Believing that it would bring favor to the new German theology, Dr. Barnes and two other preachers of what was called the New Learning were indiscreetly bold at Paul's cross. But what school of opinion would prevail was for some time uncertain. Parliament met on April 12, and under the management of Cromwell, who on the seventeenth was created earl of essex did its best still further to enrich the crown the great military order of st john of jerusalem was suppressed and its endowments were confiscated a heavy subsidy was also voted payable by instalments in four years but these things being secured a great change took place on june tenth cromwell was arrested at the council table and committed to the tower where he was questioned about the circumstances of the king's marriage and forced to make written statements to serve as evidence for its dissolution but nothing was yet known on the subject when the two houses of parliament acting on a hint prayed that the validity of his marriage might be inquired into by convocation this was done and after various depositions had been read to show that the king had never given his inward consent to his own public act a sentence of nullity was pronounced this removed at once any fear of a misunderstanding with the emperor while it disappointed francis and the duke of cleves anne herself however consented to the separation and was provided for in england admitting that she remained a maid a month later it was announced that the king had married catherine howard niece of the duke of norfolk who was prayed for as queen on august fifteen meanwhile july nine a bill of attainder was passed against cromwell in parliament on account of various acts some of which were regarded as treasonable and some heretical among the latter being his support of Dr. Barnes. He was beheaded on Tower Hill on July 28. Two days later, Dr. Barnes and with him Jerome and Garrard, the two other clergymen who had preached at Paul's Cross in the spring, were burned as heretics at Smithfield, while three of the old learning who had been attainted in Parliament were hanged at the same place as traitors. It would be a mistake to say that Cromwell entirely directed the policy of England during the years of his ascendancy, for, as he told Cardinal Pole, he himself considered it the very height of statesmanship, to endeavour to discern what was in the king's own mind, and set himself zealously to follow it out. And this, indeed, is the explanation of his whole policy. He laboured to satisfy the king yet at times he mistook the king's intention and had the mortification occasionally to see the king himself deliberately upset all that he had been endeavouring to establish or even to incur the king's heavy displeasure he maintained his position by pure obsequiousness and there was no kind of cruelty or tyranny of which he declined to be the agent Seldom have vast and multifarious interests been so completely under the control of a statesman so unscrupulous. He was continually open to bribes, and was guilty of many acts of simony. No doubt there was something engaging in his personality to men who, like himself, could take the world as it came. His early wanderings had given him a knowledge of men which, combined with a first-rate capacity for business had paved his way to fortune they had also given him cultivated tastes and an acquaintance with italian literature which few englishmen possessed in his day it was from a study of the great work of machiavelli at a time when it was still in manuscript that he derived those political principles which guided him through his whole career for more than a year The king was highly satisfied with his fifth wife. In other matters, he was not yet at ease. He had now no such convenient tool as Cromwell, and, distrusting most of his remaining ministers, stood in fear of a new insurrection. In April, 1541, a conspiracy was detected in Yorkshire to kill Holgate, Bishop of Llandaff, whom he had appointed President of the North, and take possession of pomfret castle though called a rebellion by chroniclers the design was suppressed before it came to a head and the conspirators were executed some in london and some at york it was clear that the north of england was in a dangerous state and henry thought it advisable to go thither in person with a force of four thousand or five thousand horse first however he determined to clear the tower of inconvenient prisoners the aged countess of salisbury who had been attainted in parliament without a trial two years before was beheaded in the tower on may twenty eight lord leonard gray was tried on june twenty five and executed on the twenty eighth for conduct considered treasonable when he was lieutenant of ireland The King left London for the North on June 30, but his progress was impeded by storms and floods, so that he only reached Lincoln on August 9. On entering Yorkshire, he was met by the country gentlemen, and those of them who had taken part in the rebellion of 1536-7, to including Edward Lee, Archbishop of York, made their submission to him kneeling, with large gifts of money and thanks for his pardon the like submission and gifts had been made to him in lincolnshire he delayed his arrival at york till the middle of september expecting as he afterwards gave out a visit there from james V. but as the scottish king made no sign of coming he left on the twenty-seventh on his return southward by the beginning of november he was again at hampton court when secret information was revealed to him through cranmer the queen it was found had before her marriage to him been too intimate with more than one person and it was alleged that even during the royal progress in lincolnshire she had secret meetings with a paramour the supposed accomplices of her guilt were executed and parliament having met in january fifteen forty two an act of attainder was passed against the queen who on february thirteen was beheaded within the tower she steadfastly denied any misconduct since her marriage and her fate has been thought to have been the result of political intrigue for about a year and a half the king remained a widower meanwhile it should be noted that having obtained from parliament in fifteen thirty nine powers for the creation of new bishoprics during the next three years he applied a portion of the confiscated property of the monasteries to the endowment of six new sees one of which westminster was dissolved in the following reign but the other five after some vicissitudes are in existence at the present day here also may be mentioned the publication of an authorized English Bible, which was first issued and ordered to be read in churches as early as 1536. In March 1542, Henry began pressing his richer subjects for a loan, which, though little hope was entertained of repayment, was generally granted in the expectation that the money would be used in a war against France. But, Though Francis and the Emperor were on the verge of war, and the former really invaded the latter's dominions in July, England remained neutral for nearly a whole year after. Henry's design was first to get Scotland completely into his power. A brief account seems desirable at this point of the course of events in Scotland at the time of albany's final withdrawal from the kingdom in the early summer of fifteen twenty four james V was only twelve years old and should have remained still for some time under tutelage but the circumstances were peculiar albany had not relinquished his claims upon the government but had left behind him a garrison at dunbar and his cause was still upheld by james baton archbishop of st andrews and gawain dunbar bishop of aberdeen his party however had really collapsed and in july queen margaret caused her son to be declared of age by a council at holyrood at which most of the scotch lords swore fealty there seemed then to be a very general feeling for an agreement with england especially as the lords were encouraged to believe that their king would be allowed to marry the princess mary notwithstanding her engagement to the emperor from which as wolsey secretly informed margaret henry intended to induce charles to release her unfortunately the plans of the king and wolsey included the reconciliation of margaret to her husband angus who after being for two years a refugee in france came to england just as albany returned and was bent on going back to his own country margaret would not hear of being reconciled to him all the less as she had now bestowed her affections on young henry stuart second son of lord evandale whom she had made lord treasurer and both she and aaron the great rival of angus declared that if the latter were allowed to cross the border negotiation with england was at an end angus however made his way to scotland and, together with the Earl of Lennox and some other gentlemen, scaled the town walls of Edinburgh at four o'clock on a November morning, after which they opened the gates to their companies, and when it was day, proclaimed at the cross that they came as loyal subjects, objecting to evil counsellors about the king. But as the castle opened fire upon him, Angus found it prudent in the evening to quit the town and retire to Dalkeith. And that same night, Margaret took her son with her from Holyrood into the castle for security. She then dispatched in his name an embassy to England, which, being received at Greenwich just before Christmas, proposed a peace with the marriage of James to Mary, and returned with an encouraging reply. But Angus had been meanwhile making friends with Archbishop Baton and others who were displeased with the queen's exclusiveness, and when the lords came to Edinburgh for a parliament in February 1525, they compelled her to bring her son out of the castle to the tollbooth, where a council was appointed to carry on the government, and the summonses of treason against Angus and his friends were declared untrue. Margaret next sent a secret message to Albany, asking for french support but the time was unlucky for the date of her messenger's instructions was just two days before the battle of pavia indeed from this time the french were generally very cautious about interfering in scotch affairs without the consent of henry who was always a possible ally against the emperor or might be a very dangerous enemy and henry not only favored angus but remonstrated strongly with his sister on her efforts to procure a divorce from him. Angus thus had full control of affairs for three years, during which the young king was jealously guarded, and all important offices were filled by his relatives. It was a time when none could prevail against a Douglas. But Margaret obtained from Rome a divorce from Angus, and married Henry Stuart, who was afterwards created Lord Medfin, and her son, after repeated efforts, had been made for his liberation, escaped to Stirling Castle in June 1528. In a few months, Angus and his brother, Sir George Douglas, were driven to take refuge in England, where, to James's great grief, they were well received by Henry. James had no desire to quarrel with his uncle, But the intrigues of Angus, together with border raids, brought about the hostilities which we have noticed in 1532, when the Earl of Northumberland invaded the East Marches as far as the neighborhood of Dunbar. By the mediation of Francis, peace negotiations were opened next year at Newcastle, and in May 1534 peace was concluded in London henry then sent to his nephew the order of the garter and afterwards endeavoured but without success to draw him into his own policy and religion against the pope henry might well desire this for his own conduct had raised the political importance of scotland among the nations the emperor courted james's friendship and the pope sent him a consecrated sword and hat meaning to take away Henry's title of Defender of the Faith and bestow it upon the Scottish King. Scotland, moreover, was an asylum for persons who disliked Henry's measures against the Church, and there was a serious possibility of an invasion from Scotland to drive Henry from the throne if he would not make his peace with Rome. End of section 47 Recording by Linda Johnson.